The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. Just a quick break to recommend our recent sponsor's Book of the Month. Book of the Month makes reading better by offering members a few new book selections each month to help you cut through the noise, save time, and make it easier to decide what to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles and picks five to seven of the best new books for you to choose from. All of these books are good, so you really can't go wrong. Book of the Month helps readers like you and I find books that we wouldn't normally discover on our own. The cool part is selections largely focus on new and upcoming authors in multiple genres. Book of the Month also recently launched curated audiobooks, so members can get a hardcover or an audiobook each month, which you can then download and listen to right in the app. This month, I chose A Little Supernatural Fair in Murder Road by New York Times bestselling author Simone St. James, described as the story of a young couple that find themselves haunted by a string of gruesome murders committed along an old deserted road in this terrifying new novel. Just go to bookofthemonth.com to pick your first book and join Book of the Month. That's bookofthemonth.com. And for a limited time, you can join and get that first book for just $9.99 with the code CHIRP. That's C-H-I-R-P. Enjoy. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Rainmaker FM. <laughs> And welcome back to The Writer Files. I am your host, Kelvin Reed, here to take you on another tour of the habits, habitats, and brains of renowned writers. And in part two of this file, the associate editor and lexicographer at Merriam-Webster and acclaimed author of the book, Word by Word, The Secret Life of Dictionaries, Corey Stamper paid me a visit to talk about being a celebrity word nerd, how she manages her time between the dictionary and her own writing, and the pending pencil apocalypse. In addition to writing and editing for the oldest dictionary in the U.S., Corey gained notoriety on Merriam-Webster's popular Ask the Editor video series, a short uh, video blog that tackles topics of lexical contempt like irregardless. Her nonfiction debut is titled Word by Word, The Secret Life of Dictionaries, and it cracks open the complex, obsessive world of lexicography, from the agonizing decisions about what to define and how to do it, to the naughty questions of usage and an ever-changing language. Publishers Weekly called it a witty, sly, occasionally profane, behind-the-scenes tour aimed at deposing the notion of real and proper English. The New Yorker called it illuminating and an unlikely page-turner. Corey also blogs about language and defining the words that define us on her own website, and her writing has appeared in The Guardian, The New York Times, and on Slate.com. In part two of this file, Corey and I discuss the importance of boredom, procrastination, deadlines, and staring into space, secrets on how lexicographers stay sane, why you should rethink your definition of creativity, how to counteract the tyranny of the alphabet and her tendency to hoard rare pencils. And if you missed the first half of this show, you can find it in the archives on Apple Podcasts and in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. 
The Writer Files is brought to you by the all-new Studio Press Sites, a turnkey solution that combines the ease of an all-in-one website builder with the flexible power of WordPress. It's perfect for authors, bloggers, podcasters, and affiliate marketers, as well as those selling physical products, digital downloads, and membership programs. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 200,000 website owners trust StudioPress. Go to rainmaker.fm slash studiopress now. That's rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. And if you're a fan of the writer files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. I do want to note though, that I also still write out some stuff longhand. Yeah. I just, I really love longhand writing. It's not as fast as typing, obviously, but if there's something that I really am working through and really need to workshop, I'll write it out longhand. It's easier for me to make changes and see the whole structure. Sure, sure. Um, well, it seems like boredom uh, would come kind of naturally with uh, being a lexicographer and and running up against, you know, just hours of kind of staring at stuff. So how do you beat procrastination in, in instances like that? How do you keep going? <laughs> <laughs> well, at work, I have a production deadline. That's a pretty good, you yeah, know, that's yeah. a pretty good thing. Um, I will, I do, honestly, I take quite a few breaks and sometimes those breaks just mean, usually I do breaks where I'm not it's not like, oh, I'm going to check Facebook or I'm going to get on Twitter. It's breaks where I shut the computer and I mm -hmm. stare into the middle distance um, just to sort of let things settle. Uh, in terms of uh, the, the boredom piece, I actually find I play games with myself to sort of motivate me when I'm getting through something that's really boring. <laughs> so one of my first jobs at Merriam-Webster was to check the end of line breaks in one of our dictionaries. Mm. Now, the end of line breaks, if people don't know what those are, that's where a whole word won't fit on a line, and so it's hyphenated. But there are places where that hyphen can and can't go. And actually, this is the one thing that every dictionary writer wishes everybody knew. So here you are. If you learn nothing else from this, <laughs> this is the thing you take away. When you look at a dictionary entry, and you look at the main words you're looking up, you'll see dots in the entry. Those dots don't mark pronunciation syllables. They mark where you can put a hyphen at the end of a line. So, Interesting. Yeah, crazy. And nobody <laughs> knows that except lexicographers. And it's one of those, you know, it's one of those things that you separate the sheep from the goats. Like, so what, do you know what the, and you know what those dots are for? <laughs> so. I do now. Now, you know, so my, my first job at Merriam-Webster was to go through one of our print dictionaries and check every line break, every uh -huh. end of line break to make sure that we, that the compositor had dropped the hyphen in the right spot. And there is no more tedious task in the universe <laughs> than doing that. So I did about two pages and felt like I wanted to die. And then I decided I was going to actually, I was going to make a game of this. So I actually took every, for a few pages, I took every um, word that had been broken 
So if English didn't fit on the line and it was at, you know, you got an E-N and then you got G-L-I-S-H on the other line, I took every word that was broken and made poems out of them. And they were terrible poems, <laughs> but but some of them were sort of, oh, yeah, some of them are kind of interesting because you're <laughs> you're sometimes these these broken words would match up with each other and sometimes they wouldn't. So I did that. That was how I got through that task. Oh, um, man. Uh, proofreading at work is also very tedious because uh, yeah. you're proofreading four point type. It's 2000 pages of it. And you're looking for things like, is this colon a boldface colon or a Roman colon? Because that <laughs> makes a difference. Wow. Um, and so sometimes, I mean, I would I would also make games of that um, or I would I would keep track of really, really tricky errors that I caught. So one time I caught an error in the spelling of a Latin word in the etymology. And I was like, yeah, like five <laughs> years of Latin. That's what I got, baby. Like five years of Latin and I'm the one that got this proofreading batch. I was the one who found that. That's awesome. So, so I'm, I'm a gamifier. I make games of everything to help push me through. And I do the same when, when I'm writing my books too. If I'm writing something, I'm like, this is just boring. Nobody cares about <laughs> pronunciation conventions in English. This is boring. Sometimes what I'll do is I also have lists of words that I found that I really love. I love the sound of, I love the meaning of. I'll be like, okay, you get to pick three words from this list and use them somewhere in this super boring paragraph on <laughs> pronunciation conventions. I see. Yeah. So that's why it's so fun and uh, funny in places. You have uh, peppered the, the uh, work with inside jokes to yourself. Right. Only to myself. I'm only, I'm only clever and funny to me. That's really what I'm saying no, here. that's yeah. not what I meant. Um. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations so you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Anyway, uh, yes. Okay, so the book is full of fantastic, amazing references and words, of course. Uh, that's what makes great writing. So how do, how do you unplug at the end of a long day? Because you're just constantly bombarded with language and mm -hmm. just get, you know, like how do you turn your brain off at the end of a day? You know, oddly enough, I turn it off with reading, hmm. if you can believe that. Um, I will come to the end of a long day, uh, either of writing or of Merriam-Webster work, and I retreat to books that I have reread over and over again, hmm. because it, uh, I'm just, I'm a visual person. 
I am a person who can't not read. And I'm also a fidgety person. So most people like they're going to watch TV, like they're going to watch Parks and Rec or something. And I can do that, but I, I'm like, I, I need something to do. Maybe I'll knit, maybe I'll cook, maybe I'll do this. And that's not, I mean, that just winds me up more. Hmm. So what I end up doing often is I'll finish. Um, if I have had a really good day, I'll take a little celebratory lap around the house. <laughs> like, um, and then I pick up a, a book that I've reread and I open, I mean, I have a handful of books that I read so much that I can open pretty much to any page and know where I am in the plot, but it's comforting. It's a way that, um, it's, it's a way to sort of take all of this focused exhaustion around words and reorder it in a way that is really calming for me. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think what's fascinating about the kind of two spheres of your brain that you keep talking about is kind of the, the creative piece, which probably doesn't play so much into the lexicography because there is kind of a, uh, prescription there that you're using. And then, but, but there is a creative piece, uh, that, that you're then seeing and kind of translating into these stories about the language, you know, this living language and ever expanding, uh, debacle that is the English language. Um, but, uh, so, so how do you define, how would you define creativity kind of in your own words? I know you probably have the, the clinical definition at hand, but what, like, how would you define it? I, you know, I, so the background for this is that I often hear from friends, family members, whoever, who say things like, oh, it's so amazing you wrote a book. I wish I was creative. And it irritates me because I actually think that everybody is creative. I think that that's a part of human nature. That's an essential part of humanity is that you're creative. Um, I think that we culturally really restrict what we consider to be creative to um, visual arts, writing, fine arts, things like that. Um, I feel like creativity is the impulse to make something that was not there before. Mm -hmm. And whether that is, I'm going to cook, you know, I've, I've got all these spices in the cabinet and I'm just going to make a meal and throw a bunch together and see what happens. Whether that is, um, Things like I'm taking the dog for a walk and I'm going to take a different route that I haven't taken before because I want to see what happens because I haven't been. I really feel like creativity is an impulse to make and it doesn't really matter what the output necessarily is. Mm -hmm. So, so I know a lot of people, um, who will say that, you know, when they say, oh, I'm not creative at all. I say, you know, come on, seriously. <laughs> like you, you know, like these are people who do things like make these amazing meals on the fly, or these are people, even people who are like, they have a particular way that they shelve their books. Like that's creativity. Mm -hmm. That is, that is creating a system. It's creating something out of nothing, something that wasn't there before. Yeah. So that's, that's my personal definition of creativity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think makes a writer great? Oh boy. I think you have to really I think you really have to love language to be a good writer. Um, and I don't sort of mean extravagantly love language. I don't necessarily mean show off all the words that you know, because that's not, 
that's not necessarily great writing. That's just showing off. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that you have to love the language enough to respect its limits and respect where it wants to go. So, um, I mean, one of my favorite authors is Marilyn Robinson because her writing is just so it's not spare. I hate saying her writing is spare. Lots of people say, oh, it's spare, but it's just every word that she puts on the page is supposed to be on that page and interacts well with the words around it hmm. and creates images that are so compelling, um, or make statements that are really compelling to me. Yeah. Um, I also like, uh, I also like some of Salman Rushdie's works. I love the satanic verses. Mm -hmm. Um, I love midnight's children because there's a lot of language play in both of them. And, and I think to have the confidence to be able to play with language while also respecting it is what makes you a, a good writer. Because mm. I think, honestly, you can write about, lots of people say, oh, people who are good writers are good storytellers. And that's true. But I also think you can tell any story. And if you have a command of language, it doesn't matter how boring that story is mm -hmm. or how few details you have, you're going to make it really compelling yeah. if, you know, if you know the medium you're working in. Yeah. I mean, some cr great, great works of... Uh fiction are about really <laughs> boring things. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, Harmless Drudgery is the name of your blog and also uh, probably sums up some of some great fiction. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so, all right. Uh, we are uh, kind of running along. As so many writers do, do you have like a best love quote just kind of floating over your desk there somewhere or in your mind that you come back to? Um, I, one of the, one of my favorite quotes is actually from the, <laughs> from the front matter of one of our uh, dictionaries. It's a usage dictionary and the front matter. That's all the junk at the front that nobody reads. And that's really the only place that a lexicographer, if you're writing the preface, that's the only place that you get to have any kind of super creative impulse. And it's, it's just a, it's a phrase, um, that in introducing all of the editors who worked on this particular book, the, uh, main managing editor, Make, just makes the note that he's he's going to list them in no particular order um, in order to counteract the tyranny of the alphabet. <laughs> and I and I love it and I have it I do have it up over my desk because I feel like my life at work is certainly ordered by the tyranny of the alphabet. But I love it because it it's it, it's a loving and playful way of talking about sort of everything that orders a writer's life is, you know, uh, we live by the tyranny of the alphabet, but there are ways around it. That's awesome. <laughs> um, well, uh, I know we're running long. Do you have time for a couple fun ones? We could just pick out a couple for you. Yeah, go for it. Okay. If you could choose one author from any era for an all expense paid dinner to your favorite restaurant in the world, who would you choose and where would you take them? Oh my gosh. Uh, I think... I would have to choose Chaucer and I would take Chaucer to this restaurant that is in Helsinki that I've only been to once. 
but I loved. It's called Zators. The entire theme is tractors. So, <laughs> so you know, the when I was there, the servers wore overalls, and you sat at chairs that were tractor seats. Um, and nice. it was really great food, simple food. I would do that just because um, I imagine Chaucer. Chaucer was this weird contradiction. Like he was actually sort of in the the upper middle class, lower class, or upper middle class, lower upper class of his era, which is how he was able to write. But most of his writing is like fart jokes and sex <laughs> jokes. And I would just love to have Chaucer there in this setting. It's like really, it's great food, but it's tractor themed. I just feel like that would, that would be a night to remember. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's fun. Um, <laughs> Okay, so before we uh, offer your fellow scribes advice on how to keep going, uh, do you have a writer's fetish? You've talked about the coming pencil apocalypse. Are you <laughs> are you hoarding rare pencils over there? Or <laughs> I do. Okay, I yes, I have I have some weird writer's fetish. I do. I am a pencil hoarder, uh, but only particular <laughs> pencils. Um, mm. I hoard Stabilo. Uh, grease pencils, basically, because they're great for marking on any surface. Um, they write a lot thicker than I tend to like, but they're really hard to come by. And generally, if you find them, you only find them in black and in red. So if I find another color, I grab it. Um, I also am very particular about the pencils I use when I'm writing notes at work or when I'm writing at home, I like mechanical pencils with 0.5 millimeter lead. Mm. Um, they have to be pretty light cause I have stubby little hands. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I have like, yeah, I mean, I'm a standard writer, right? Like we're all a <laughs> little tweaked in some way and that's <laughs> pencils are how I'm tweaked. That's how I'm a weirdo. Okay. Okay. We got that one right. Um, <laughs> cool. So, uh, yeah. So can you offer some advice to your fellow uh, writers on just how to keep going, how to keep the ink flowing and the cursor moving? Um, it's pretty cliche, but I think showing up is is 95% of the battle. Um, I actually, I was told through most of my high school and college career, I was not a good writer. So I never wrote. I just didn't attempt to write. And then I fell in with a group of for reals writers uh, after I got this job. And we would get together and we would just have write-ins. We'd just free write together. Nice. And and it, it was originally just a way for me to get out of the house. I had a toddler and it was like, fine. <laughs> like, this is two <laughs> hours of quiet. I'll take it. Yeah. Um, but every week of doing that, that's really what turned me into a writer was, was showing up. And I also, the other thing I'd say is have accountability for showing up. It's very easy to say, I'm going to show up and go sit, you know, in your kitchen with your computer or your notebook and do nothing. But if you're doing that with somebody else, then you actually feel compelled to write. Even if all you're writing is, I don't know what to write. I don't have anything to say. Uh, it's my hip hurts, whatever. I mean, I feel like showing up and having accountability, having some kind of community that shows up with you is yeah. a great way to keep it going. Awesome. Awesome. Well, the book is Word by Word, The Secret Life of Dictionaries. The New Yorker called it an unlikely page turner. Uh, the Atlantic said a cheerful and thoughtful rebuke of the cult of the grammar scolds, uh, which I thought was very, 
very spot on because uh, it did make me feel better about those grammar scolds, man. Uh, (laughs) But seriously, thank you so much for taking time to do this. And I know you have to get back to work, so we'll let you do that. And then I'm hoping someday you can come back and do another episode where we try to figure out who Shakespeare was. Yeah, I'm totally (laughs) down for that. Awesome. Thanks again, Corey. Thanks so much, Kelton. Cheers. Thanks so much for joining us for this half of a tour of the writer's process. If you enjoy the writer files, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. And for more episodes or just to leave a comment or a question, you can always drop by writerfiles.fm and chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week.